So today I've got guest Emma Jarvis with me. She is, won't mind me saying, a Motti uh, Award winner, Merseyside Woman of the Year Award winner. What category was it that you won at? Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur of the Year, so congratulations. Today we are here talking all things gender equality when it comes to healthcare. And I'm going to hand it over to you, Emma. Tell me a little bit about you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I'm Emma and I'm co-founder of my new business, which is Yoni Health. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are opening Europe's first period bank Incredible. in Liverpool. Wow. <laughs> um, where did this idea spark from using kind of periods to, to analyse health as it were? So I was basically just talking to my co-founder. We are in a WhatsApp group together, mm-hmm. a female founders WhatsApp group. Um, and that's from our previous businesses. So we both have businesses in the women's health space. Okay. So we're both aware of like the issues within women's health. And we were just kind of talking about invasive procedures. We were talking about the smear test mm-hmm. and just like how crazy is it that doctors are still using a medical instrument invented over 150 years ago. And we're still using it now. And so we were just talking about like, why are we still using outdated invasive procedures when every month our uterus literally sheds Mm -hmm. and we have a period. Mm -hmm. So we were thinking, what if those cells, what if we could use our period? What if um, those cells can tell us something? Has anyone actually looked at those periods? So then we did some research into it. And we found that the period protein was published over 10 years ago. And there's 801 unique proteins in our periods that are not in systemic blood. So you can't look at this information with a venous blood test or a finger prick. The only way to look at those biomarkers is by looking at periods and nobody's doing that. So basically we just, the more research we did, the more interesting things that we found about what you could actually use periods for. But actually 15 million people in the UK have a period every month and it just gets flushed away. Literally, Mm -hmm. you're flushing away DNA, information about your health, information that could help researchers actually study female physiology and build a healthcare system that actually works for women. So we just got on a call and was like, let's do it. Like, what's stopping us? Like, let's just do it. So that's basically how it how it happened. And how did that journey go? For, so how did you get from there to where you are today? Like, we spoke to a lot of people. So I guess the good thing about already having a business is we both already have networks. Mm-hmm. So we reached out to people we know within, like, the healthcare industry, within diagnostics, within, like, universities. We spoke to a lot of people. We spoke to, like, Oxford University, Manchester University, Liverpool. Um, and we spoke to a lot of academics. And they were all, like, on board. Like, yes, we started this research years ago, but it hasn't been progressed because of, like, gender bias or because of lack of funding. So, like, we are really supportive of you doing this. So we kind of knew like we have the backing we have the support we know that it's possible we found that it's been done in other countries but not here and so we were like okay we're going to be the ones to do it so how 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 does it work if I was to say to you I want to go ahead and I want you to use my period blood uh, to do an analysis on my general well-being what's my step-to-step journey so at the moment we are developing Mm -hmm. the world's first at-home period donation kit okay so women will be able to just discreetly if they need to um, just donate. So we would send you a box of like the kit and you would literally like put your period in there, send it, like send it back to us and it would go in the biobank. So that's what we are currently developing with the universities. 
Amazing. And um, I know that you, you've touched on this. If people are interested in this, I know we definitely are, um, and they want to learn more about it, where would you signpost them to so that they could get the information from you? So if you're a researcher mm -hmm. or an investor, <laughs> um, a business who wants to look at periods, or you're somebody who wants to donate your period, then you can go to yoni.health and join the waitlist. So at the moment we have a waitlist. Um, we're trying to get as diverse a sample, like data set as possible, because we want to make sure that researchers can study. It's not just kind of all the same type of periods. Like we want to have as many different periods as possible mm -hmm. in the bank. It's literally a bank of periods, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, basically. Like, it's like watching that, uh, what was the thing I watched on Netflix, Bank of Dave. Have you no, seen that? I haven't seen oh gosh, them. you really need to. Mm. It's about a guy from Burnley who decides he wants to make his own bank. But it's essentially what you're doing, but you're doing it for With periods. periods. How yeah. amazing. Okay, so uh I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna go, right, I wanna I wanna donate donate it to you so that you can have a little check out of what I want to do. Being in contact with you, where do you find that information of the sign-up list? Where do I find that? So it's on our website, yoni.health. There's a form on there you can fill in to say, like, I want to donate my period. And mm -hmm. then we will basically send you like so we're also developing an app as well at the moment where you can track your period. Okay. So people who are using the app, they'll be able to input all their data, like whether you're on contraception or like what type of contraception you're on and just all the different kind of information about your body that might affect your period, which is a lot of things. Like everything that we do affects our menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that researchers can actually say, okay, does this drug or this disease or this condition, how does it actually affect a woman's body by looking at the periods? But the reason why researchers haven't kind of done a lot of research on women is because they find that women are too complex to study because of our hormonal fluctuations. Mm -hmm. So by having that data of this person's on this contraception or this is day three of the period or this is day one of the period, the more information we have, the more we can actually like concretely like say this, these results are accurate. Do you know what I mean? Because otherwise researchers will be like, well, it could just be because of this or it could be because of the hormones or it could be because of this contraception. So we want to make sure we have all of that information. So it's groundbreaking within the UK. You're saying that it's done in other places in the world. Where is it being tried at the moment? So in um, so there's three banks in the world. One's in the US, mm -hmm. one's in Iran, wow. and which is... Very close to your heart. <laughs> yes. And one's in India. Um, but there is a lot of research also being done in China mm -hmm. and Japan. And they are using periods mostly for stem cell research. So menstrual blood, cell, menstrual blood also contains a lot of stem cells. Um, so as well as the biomarkers, which can be used for diagnostic purposes. Um, the stem cells can be obviously used for like regenerative medicine. So there's been research to show that these stem cells can treat COVID, severe COVID patients. Um, there was a clinical trial in China and there was one in Iran two years ago, which showed that it could actually treat severe COVID. Mm -hmm. um, there's been studies on like Alzheimer's disease, cancers, um, like skin regeneration. And so, yeah, there's like, obviously it's really important because stem cells can be quite expensive. Mm -hmm. The current processes, it's like a five hour bone marrow extraction. It's really painful. It's expensive. But 15 million people in the UK have a period which contains stem cells. So it's so much easier to get. It's cheaper to mm -hmm. get as long as you have that infrastructure in place. Yeah. You can 
make it so much easier for people to find a stem cell match. Because at the moment, it's if you're like an ethnic minority, there's only like a 20% chance that you will be able to find a match. Yeah. So the more periods we have, the more diversity we have, the easier it will be for people to find a match. I wasn't surprised when you had said about America having them, but definitely countries like India and of course with yourself with Iran. Um, it surprises me that they're kind of flying the flag for it because I feel like they're countries where maybe talking about menstrual health and talking about kind of female wellness and whole is still pretty taboo. Would you agree or? I think, yes, definitely. I think I, I would say that about America as well though. Mm -hmm. um, the researchers that are doing it in America are, are not really looking at stem cells. They're looking at like, can we use periods to diagnose um, PCOS and endometriosis, mm -hmm. but also to monitor diabetes and things like right. that. Um, in, 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 sorry, in Iran, the research is because um, they want to cure infertility and menopause and things like that. Um, so it's preserving fertility. That's okay. their like main goal. And then in China, it's very much about like anti-aging and skin and things like that. So it kind of makes sense when you think about it. Um, but obviously what we want to do is enable researchers to do whatever research that the researcher wants to do. So it could be stem cells. It could be diagnostic. It could be monitoring health. It's, it's brilliant. I'm really interested to see how it develops. I will happily donate my period <laughs> to you any day. It's not a problem. Um, invasive procedures wise, such as smear tests. I had a hysteroscopy yesterday. It was horrific. I'm still feeling that growling pain now. I would absolutely love to know that this could be something that could work for me in the future for diagnostics. Um, why is it that we are still using these invasive procedures and what's the timeline like for getting these new innovations into the NHS? So I think there's three main issues when it comes to women's health. It's lack of data and information, um, lack of funding, mm -hmm. and also attitudes towards women's bodies. So in terms of funding, only 2.5% of like government funding goes into women's health, which is obviously like not enough. Um, f medical research that is proposed by men gets more funding than medical research that's proposed by women for women. Mm -hmm. So if, so in terms of like all of the research that's been done, if it's something that affects men and women, but affects women differently, it's like not a lot of, there's, there's kind of women are like often like mistreated or misdiagnosed or they suffer in some way because it wasn't really developed for them. But then when it comes to conditions that only affect women, it's a total like complete mystery. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I've not like answered your question properly. <laughs> um, but, it's so, interesting. Don't worry, honestly. But in terms of like innovation for women, it's always, it tends to be women that create these innovations to support women because they've had an experience that they want and they don't feel like it's right. So they're like, oh, I want to fix this. But then they struggle to get the funding. And then the attitudes towards women's bodies, it's like people think periods are gross. So... In terms of like the research that we've looked at, we, even the researchers we've spoken to have said that they've struggled to have their research published or taken seriously. So if it's not being taken seriously, it's not going to get the funding, it's not going to get published and it's not going to end up in the NHS. No. So it's a combination of all of those things. So what do you think is the most exciting development when it comes to women's health right now? 
So I think the most exciting thing about women's health is the women themselves, mm-hmm. because I feel like women now are just so much more empowered and they want to take control of their health. Um, there's a lot less stigma and less shame than, for example, when I was in school and everyone was kind of hiding their periods and embarrassed about their periods. Whereas now I think girls are more likely to track their periods using like a period tracking app. They're more likely to talk openly about their periods and they're more likely to actually bond with each other about like, for example, like sharing period products and mm-hmm. sharing tips and things like that. Um, and I think also when you look at older women, women who've already had babies and things, they've gone through this kind of growth of like, if you've seen the Barbie movie, it's kind of like that. I've not seen it yet. I'm going this Friday. <laughs> it's but you're not of, the first person to say that yet. Yeah. Oh my God, I've seen it twice. <laughs> um, it's kind of like you grow up and then you realise like this whole time that kind of you've been, you've not really been treated in a fair way. And now is time to take control of your own health. Like the system is not set up for you. Um, for example, I see posts now from like so-called experts mm-hmm. or like on Instagram where they're claiming something which is very old fashioned. Um, and the comment section will just be full of women saying, no, that's not true. That's not true because of this, this, this. And the people in it are actually questioning these experts yeah. because they're, they've actually done their own research mm-hmm. and they understand their own bodies and they know that that is not matching And that's because all of the research that's been done has been done on men's bodies. Mm -hmm. So for like 450 years, clinical trials were only conducted on men. So a lot of those kind of like diseases and and like recommendations and guidelines that people are learning in medical school hasn't actually been proven on a female body. So there's just so much less less known about conditions that affect women. There's like over 20 uterine conditions that we have no cause, no diagnosis, no treatment apart from surgery. So just in general, even if you Google something like to do with women's health, the information is so kind of like vague and almost like opinion-based rather than evidence-based. Whereas if you Google like a, a man's condition or like a testicular condition, it's very clear on like, this is normal, this isn't normal. If this happens, go to the hospital. This is the treatment. It's very clear and mm-hmm. very like specific. Whereas for women, it's just so kind of like vague and like not really. Everyone's different. And, yeah, yeah, and it could be this long list of diseases or it could be stress or it could be a period, but it's probably normal. Just take some paracetamol, which also wasn't tested on women. So <laughs> it's... What were you just saying before though? You were reading an article just before we started today. You yeah. were reading an article. Tell me about that article. So... There was um, an FDA approved drug um, for postnatal depression. And one of the symptoms was it could cause testicular pain, which to me, like, obviously that doesn't make sense. And it's must be because they've tested it on men. And that was one of the symptoms. But that's just something that is, is has been happening like throughout history. There was a drug in the 60s, which was looking at postmenopausal women and whether estrogen supplements could prevent them from having heart disease and they enrolled 800 sorry 8341 men and no women <laughs> and it was testing postmenopause like how it, it doesn't make sense I think there's a lot of things that don't make sense <laughs> when it comes to anything yeah. like that but that's just but, shocking but the fact that women are actually like now questioning this they're yeah. doing their own research mm-hmm. and they're like no like no like I'm taking control of my own health I think there's um 
there's an, definitely an element about it on our platforms. If we put information up there regarding, you know, estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, things like that, you'll have a lot of women that will be very, very pro things like HRT. You'll have a lot of people who are very against it. Um, they will say their own bits of information and they will agree and disagree with each other. But I would rather that platform be there as a safe space for people to talk about their options, talk about their choices and and discuss it as opposed to like you say, having something that's put that, you know, it's a bold claim that, you know, might be real generic across the board for women, but there will be such a wealth of women that it doesn't work for. Um, I don't know if you've had any like horrendous gynae situations of your own I know I definitely have and some of the women that we speak to at work I definitely have but I think what's great about what you're doing right now is making information accessible um so tell me about how accessible your information is and, and how people can get in contact with you for your information so our whole like goal is to just empower women mm -hmm. about their own bodies and educate them so we have tiktok and instagram um and also linkedin so i'm a linkedin top voice i don't know how that happens <laughs> for gender equity so yeah. i post a lot on linkedin but what you've just said is is so right like women like being able to actually question what they're being told like my auntie she um she's well, for example, I don't know any woman who hasn't had this issue. Like most women, I think, feel like they've been ignored at some point from their doctor. But my auntie is um, post-premenopausal and she's been to her doctor and she just gets fobbed off. They're just like, oh, no, you're, you're still having periods, so you're fine. Like menopause is when you've had no periods for 12 months. But she's like, no, I'm premenopausal, And they're just like, no. Like it's, it's such a small bracket though. So we, we don't ever kind of go, GPs are useless. No, 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 They're not, they're amazing. But they have such a small window of learning within becoming a general practitioner to do with menopause. It's very, very minute yeah. segment. So there's still things that they're very open about. I feel that people go in and say, oh, I'm, I'm struggling. They want to sign them a prescription for something to feel like they're doing something for them. When in reality, what they need to be doing is signposting them to... Yeah. you know alternate theories as opposed to yeah you might not be menopausal right now but yeah pre-menopause can are. be like we're all pre-menopause pre can be like 12 years we spoke to mm -hmm. a gentleman at an expo that we were at recently he's like yes my wife's going through it you know it's going to be a couple you know a couple of tough years and I'm like a couple you genuinely think it's just a couple of years that's that's the problem that's what we need to address yeah. um and I think that with platforms like with TikTok Instagram Facebook. Well, I say that they're positive. We have a lot of our, I don't know if you suffer with this. We have a lot of our material removed or um, not, not approved because it's deemed as inappropriate. You know, we talk about menstrual cycles. We talk about, you know, vaginal dryness. You can't talk about that. But oh yeah, you can talk about Viagra all day long. It's awful. I was doing a TikTok about menstrual bloods, clots. Um, and so I Googled menstrual blood to get a photo to use for the TikTok. All of the images were blurred out. But if you Google blood, it's like a crime scene on there. Like it's like a murder scene. There's blood everywhere. Like, but if you Google menstrual blood, it's completely blurred out. It's a safe search. So if you if you can imagine like a young girl who's just maybe got her first blood clot and she's Googled it and it's you, all you're seeing is like blurred out pictures as if it's something that needs to be hidden and like, and like, yeah, like hidden away, like it's a bad thing. Like it's, 
it's really frustrating when you see some of the other images that are completely acceptable and, yeah you like know. way worse and I actually googled semen just like to prove a point and that wasn't blurred out so semen is okay but menstrual blood needs to be hidden away but they're both both natural things absolutely discharge I suppose that's probably the same thing as well actually you do get that quite a lot I see a lot of um adverts that crop up especially on the kind of elsewhere pages that talk about the different types of discharge and what they you know represent but they're always cartoons there isn't a reality there isn't that you know and and like as you say as a young girl looking and going is that normal is that not normal I don't know because in the cartoon it looked this color (laughs) well you know put some reality behind it it's it's so true what you're saying and it is sad um we joined forces quite recently as part of um Gen M uh we lobbied Meta to try and stop this um and I think that they have relaxed certain rules especially regarding things like menopause but I don't know where it stands in terms of talking about menstrual cycles and and menstrual clots and discharge and things like that but these are the things we say them really flippantly and they're almost like buzzwords for people's eyes to wince and for them to go "Ah." but um they need not to be because I know as a young teenage girl and all of the issues that I faced and very like what you were saying beforehand you go to a GP and you're told so you know it's normal take some paracetamol you know I used to bleed through so that it was like on on the seat underneath me I'd have to put a you know a a hoodie around myself and walk out of school and be crippled in pain that isn't normal and I think it's really sad that there are still people out there that are saying to young girls that it is or saying to them go on the pill that'll fix everything no it really won't let's start getting to the root cause of it um so music to my ears that there is something like this I wasn't wasn't able to get a smear I think I still managed to get mine pretty early and that was basically because my mum had to have a full hysterectomy due to all of her gynecological problems that they thought right we better investigate this but I could have still been fighting well into my kind of like mid-20s if it wasn't for that um Yoni will there be an age limit on it or will what what are your thoughts on it do you think that it could be used for younger girls so anyone who has a period basically yeah, that's it. And that's going to be so much easier and it's going to be that younger girls do feel that they can go and have something that isn't going to be invasive and they're not going to have to, you know, take their clothes off and, and, yeah, and have exactly. investigations done. That could be. Yeah. But then that's that's brilliant. And I think for me, like when I was pregnant, that was where the most traumatic kind of like so much invasion and violation, like that's how it felt. Mm-hmm. I know like it's kind of like supposed to be normal and that's what needs to be done but it just felt like it just felt quite violating Mm -hmm. and I think for a young girl to have to go through those types of procedures it can be quite traumatic and then it can prevent you from going for a smear like one in four women never go for a smear and you can imagine like if you've experienced sexual um violence or trauma in some way then you're less likely to want to go through that again yeah, so it's an option there to make it accessible yeah. for everybody yeah. and, and not be uncomfortable and embrace the fact that you can find information through something, like yeah. you say, that's just getting flushed down the toilet every single month. Um, I'm really excited to to see how this progresses. Really glad that we can be a part of it and, and help signpost people to you. Uh, I know we touched on it before, but as we kind of conclude, tell people how they can learn more about Yoni and how they can donate their period, as it were. <laughs> so if you go to yoni.health, then there's a waitlist there. So if you're a researcher or a business or someone who wants to donate their period, then just go to Yoni Health and fill in the form. 
I'm going to go and do it right now. <laughs> Emma, it's been wonderful. And I do have to say congratulations on your Merseyside Woman Thank of the Year you. award too. And you're one of those people that's like, oh, don't. I know, like Alyssa won as well, which was amazing. Yeah. And she was just amazing on the stage. I was like an absolute <laughs> nervous wreck. <laughs> Listen, people are different. Some people are really, really good when it comes to getting up on stage. Some people are great with like number crunch. People have all got different um, expertise. In honesty, today you've come on. I know you were really nervous about doing it. You spoke so eloquently because it's something that you're so passionate about. Um, so just thank you so much for, for coming and, and sharing this and congratulations. Thank you.